Hey Kidley Wings, thanks for joining us again. Today we've got James Audrey Whitehead joining us to talk through his transition from boyhood to Greek god. He's a talented programmer, an aspirational young chap and a future leader of a successful team somewhere in Australia or possibly worldwide. We talk over his self-esteem issues as a teenager growing up in Brisbane which have carried over to some of his young adult behaviour. Talk about eating healthy, gym bros, and chasing tail. Please check out his Instagram account at JamesXWhitehead or stalk him on the Faceballs for those extra special behind-the-scenes photos. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please reach out on the socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Advice for Blokes. A thumbs up, a friendly comment, or scathing insults are always welcomed. If you'd like your voice organ to be featured on an upcoming episode, we've got a recording device configured to take the whole lot... Up to 30 seconds on 029541 Any sort of feedback can be left here, including requests for shout-outs to your mates or business. We're not too picky, and if it helps a brother out, we're totally okay with it. The final intro message is to give you a touch-up and let you know you're not alone out there. Please make sure you let your friends know the same. Like, share, subscribe, do the doobly-doo that you do so well. Peter Andre approves this message. Let's get right the shit into this bad boy. James Audrey Whitehead. It's Arthur, thank you. Arthur. That was close, whatever. It was Arthur. It's now Audrey. <laughs> Well, your name to me hasn't been James for a long time. It's been Smadge, which of course is James backwards for those uh, who didn't get the correlation there. I think you're the only person that calls me that besides Paul. To everyone else, I'm Jim, Jimmy, Jimbo, Ferris to the Gold Coast boys. Shout out to them. Sounds like you have shit friends. Smadge <laughs> is what they will all be calling you from now on. <laughs> I'm not too pleased about that. At least Nathan Yates, who sounds like a mad cunt. Yes. Uh, cheers. Cheers to Yatesy and the boys. Cheers. How are you, mate? You've made the journey up to uh, the scenic central coast from um, Sydney town. I have. Where do you live? Chatswood. Chatswood. Uh, I was a little bit worried when I got to, through some of those tunnels and I realised I was on one bar of 3G. I'm like, where the fuck am I going? <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're used to living or being in a place where you can't instantly download porn all the time. I know, right? It was very inconvenient. See, that's what we have to deal, as central, deal with as central coastians is we have to think about the porn that we want to watch on the train before we before we actually get on the train. Mm, right. Download it. And then fap in the bathrooms on the train. I assume that you did that. No, I couldn't find the bathroom. Oh, okay. And that, you just do it in the vestibule area or between carriages. So you've got those sliding doors and you've actually got an audience watching you from both sides. <laughs> Not impossible to fap to. Yeah, if you like the risk and a bit of danger, for sure. The wrist and a bit of danger. <clears throat> you love the wrist. What, um, is this entire podcast episode going to be dedicated to, de to gay jokes against me or what? doesn't have to be, <laughs> but if you ask nicely, <laughs> you can. <laughs> uh, so you've been listening to some of the, the previous episodes? I have, yeah. Um, How have you found it? Really good, mate. Um, I'd love to meet your mate, Raph. He sounds like a bit of a character. <laughs> um, to, to be honest, I, I think I've gotten through almost every episode. Yes. Um, the one with your mate, I've forgotten his name, but he, he had the Jellignite 
the sticks of jelly. Oh, at that's school. my cousin Jason. Your yeah. cousin Jason. That was a belter of an episode. I listened to it <laughs> um, on on the way back from Brisbane to Sydney oh, on really? a flight. Yeah. And I was so into the episode that I didn't actually realise we were landing and everything back in Sydney. I still had like 10 minutes to go or something. It was a great episode. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad you've appreciated it. It's, it's been fun um, doing it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just got, I just got some feedback today, actually, from... I'll, uh, I'll just grab the, the comment. So I, d- I just posted up recently the um, episode with Ian and myself and um, put it on the Faceballs. And one of uh, our mutual mates, Alex... Uh, Alex Gretchek wrote up and said, brilliant episode, uh, reminds me of when we used to work on uh, the car at Ian's Garage, who, again, one of our mates when we were younger. And then um, I just posted a smart-ass reply, it's a shame we don't have the whole thing in video, then people could appreciate how handsome and charismatic we are, which is obviously true. And we do have the whole thing in video, it's just that we're not really set up to, uh, to be doing that at the moment. Thanks for having Alyssa, man, much appreciated. And then he wrote back... No, Josh, thank you for the lols and the balls to make the podcast. I've been in some dark holes. Yep, those ones too. (laughs) And we do need to be open about this kind of thing. A few years ago, I lost one of my best mates to suicide. I felt a lot of guilt about it because I hadn't spoken to him in a while, as we were both busy with our own lives. And I felt like I could have been a voice of reason for him. Your podcast is providing that voice of reason for someone else, and it's an admirable act. Looking forward to the upcoming episodes. Reading that back, I literally cried. Like, I actually choked up. The fact that one person has been able to... Like, I don't give a shit. I'll, I'll chuck a hundred of these things down on the intertubes. All I have to do is sit here and, you know, talk shit with somebody who's reasonably interesting on the other side of the rather rickety IKEA table. Um, but the fact that somebody has taken something positive away from it has has really sort of... My, my passion wasn't gone, but it, it's like up to my passion for actually getting more and more stuff out there that's um, relatable to people. Yeah. And it's, it's such a good forum for people to come in and tell their stories and, you know, um, for people to know they're not alone out there, right? And yeah. even even the episodes where you don't touch too much on that stuff, it's still a good laugh. It's yeah, good exactly. banter. You yeah. Know. Well, that so from my side of it, it's... It's more interesting to hear about the aspirational stuff than it is the relatable stuff. But if it's coming from somebody who is actually relatable, so say Ian again, um, the first first hour has been nothing but lols and dick jokes and, and farts and whatever. <coughs> Number one. Oh, it smells like sushi. Sorry, guys. Oh, you can't smell a sushi. Um, that was some soft crab in that one. The, is, uh, the second part of it, is talking around when his marriage broke down and his sort of um, trend towards alcoholism and, and the way that he um, he sort of coped with that and how he's triumphed and how he's actually dealing with those things and that's the that's the more important thing for me the, the message for me is more more so that these are the things that I contend with and this is this is what I make of my life as opposed to listening to somebody sit there and fucking talk for an hour and a half about how depression has blown their fucking life up. Like, I get it. That that can mm. happen. But what's more important is... And it'll be heavily scripted at that. Well, possibly <coughs> from their side of things. Like, some of, the, some of the other podcasts I've listened to is stuff where, you know, somebody's talking about how fucked it up being is in... How fucked it up is being in prison. How fucked up it is being in prison. Words. I'd, I've done them before, I promise. Um... Yeah, so the 
Yes. Yes. Nice one. <laughs> Fucking dog cunt. Well done, Smadge. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's more important. I think people. I feel like it, it, it's it's a much more interesting listen and far more engaging if you've got somebody who's saying these are the these are the tragedies that I've sort of dealt with in my life, but this is what I've done with myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So yourself, you're a uh, talented programmer. Oh, I don't know about talented. <laughs> well, you can program. Yeah. Yeah, I write the codes. Done the, the codes. <clears throat> you, so you're a late hacker. Uh, so does that mean as a as a young pup that you were... Oh, actually, happy birthday for last week, week Thanks. before. Yeah, 20th of August. Yes. Happy 29th. Thank you. Yes, last year in the 20s. Mm. Mm. It really doesn't change when you get to your 30s. I hope so. You hope it does change? I hope it doesn't change. Oh, okay. Much. No, yeah. You don't even have to be any more responsible or anything. The only difference between kids and adults is the amount of money that they've got. Yeah, right. What, um, so you're a programmer. What, what sort of got you down the path of programming? Um, yeah, look, I, I always had an interest in computing when I was at uh, high school, as young as high school. I took uh, the, IT, the IT subjects for what we call in Queensland our OP, um, equivalent to your HSC here in New South Wales. Um, and I just fell in love with coding and computing. Um, I got into, you know, some of the hardcore nerdy stuff like Linux and all that from a very young age. I think, uh, I think I had from as early as 15, I'd been using Linux as my desktop environment. And, uh, I came out of uni, uh, sorry, came out of high school. I kind of knew I wanted to do something in computing, possibly software development, but I wasn't that sure. So I just ended up taking a gap year that turned into like three years. Yeah, um, which finally, is the best gap year. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, it would have been a waste of time going to uni straight out of high school because I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and funnily enough, all the people that gave me shit for it, most of them ended As up... In gave, drop, you, gave you shit for taking a gap year? For taking a gap year and not going straight to uni. Yeah. Most of them dropped out anyway. Right. And so... Were they doing... Had they start? I mean, you're now several years out of uni, obviously. Mm. But did they do something career-wise that was actually related to what they were studying at university or did they go in a completely different direction? Um, you don't know. One of my mates that I was closer with, he got a degree in business and then just went went overseas travelling for God knows how long. Uh, never did anything with it until several years later. And I'm kind of like, well, we're actually in the same net position. Yeah. You yeah. just took your gap after uni, I took it before. Yeah, I touched on that with uh, with Bensky is this idea that you come out of school and you go and do a university degree, which, how much does it cost these days? Was it 40 grand or something? Oh, uh, it depends. Mine was uh, like a thousand a subject. Okay. A thousand a subject, so four subjects per semester. Yeah. So $4,000 per semester, that's $8,000 per year. Yeah, so my degree was about so 20, 24 grand. 24. Mine was about 26, I think, because I failed a couple of subjects on the way. What'd you fail? I failed... Um, Operating systems programming, which right. is C, and um, okay. didn't yeah. retake it, and failed uh, network unit like um, IP addressing sub. Oh, the networking stuff. That shit. Yeah, oh, that stuff's boring as fuck. Like that. Do it. Yeah. yeah, right. So, to, so you get you spend your twenty six grand. So you've still got a, a hex or what's it called? Help. Yeah, I'm almost done. Uh, right. I've got about three grand left, which I'm just going to lump sum. Okay. 
Yeah. But so how does that work? Every year then you submit a tax return and then the tax office says you actually owe us more money. Uh, no, you declare it on your... When you get a job and you give them your TFN, you declare that you have a help debt. Okay. And then it comes off your gross. Right. And as you earn more money, it scales up how much extra they take from your gross. Okay, so the more successful you are, the quicker they, they're taking the money from you. Yeah, pretty much. Seems to be the way that our tax system and country in general works. Yeah. The more uh, the more successful you are. So if you're in that top tax bracket, which is $180,000 or so plus, um, then every dollar you earn over that amount, 50% of it goes to the tax office. Yeah. Just to make sure that we can keep those uh, Centrelink bludgers sitting on their asses, <laughs> eating Doritos and smoking, <laughs> smoking darts. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Uh, right, so you've, um, how'd you go in your degree overall? Do they care these days or is it just, I've got one? No, I mean... Has anyone asked to see a copy of it? No. So you put that on your CV. Yeah, it means nothing. So you say, I've got a bachelor in... Uh, Information technology specialising in software development. Right, and and you just put that on your CV and no one has asked to see it? Not one. No one's even asked what my grade average was or anything. So no one gives a shit, right. No, it's just like a prerequisite, right? Every job application you see would be like, must have a BA or degree in whatever. Yeah. Yeah, actually, good point. No one's ever asked for proof. Right, so anyone out there who wants a job as a software developer, just put on your CV that you have a Bachelor of IT. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much a done deal. Which university? Science. Actually, what we should do is um, fabricate a university so that we can actually take inbound phone calls from people when they do confirm that that person has a degree. I'm quite happy to say yes. <laughs> yes, John O. Smith, 100, and mad kind of a student. Yeah. 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 Hire him on the spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, you guys pay me 20 bucks. I'm happy to uh, happy to put my hand up. I'll even get some nice um certificates printed up for you. Wouldn't be the worst thing you have done for 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the easiest thing I've done for 20 bucks either. Uh I think the university should be called the uh the School of Hard Knocks though. But knocks spelt N uh, K N O X, so it's a bit more like um those, uh, or you're not familiar with New South Wales, but Knox Grammar School is quite a uh, oh, lot right. to do. Okay, yeah. yeah. So the school of hard knocks. Right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make it happen. Right. So you've you finished your degree. You're um, so you said three years gap year. So you're 21 before you've even enrolled in uni. Uh, that's right. Yeah, I think I started uni when I was 21. Graduated at uh, 24. So I did my degree over four years because I worked part time for my last. My last year of my degree took two years because I was working part-time, so I switched to part-time uni. Okay. Um, so I came out at 24, moved to Sydney January when I January of the year I turned at 25. And so what had you done what had you done between the period of leaving university and moving to Sydney town? Um, just Nothing. I just kept working. No, nah, because I, okay. I went from Vodafone retail to Vodafone corporate. Okay, so that you ended up working as a as a software developer at um, at Vodafone head office. Uh, yeah, although that wasn't my title, I got into software development uh, a little bit of a different way. I actually came in as a uh, like a like a test automation engineer. Right. And um, that's not going to mean anything to most people listening. No, so basically <laughs> manual testing um, on Vodafone's in, internal or retail systems. Uh, the okay, most so popular the, one being like Siebel. The, so the stuff they have that they're running in the, the retail stores. Yeah. That those um so you would have been interacting with that when you were working in retail. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And now all of a sudden you're actually working at the corporate level testing it. 
Yeah, basically. So they took my knowledge of the system as a retail user and basically brought me in to do QA on new releases that were upcoming for the retail staff. All right, um, so you've got you've got that sort of um, that viewpoint of this is what it's actually like to use it at the store level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then from there, you found some other jobs internally, or they went, "Hey, Smadge, you're testing," and also, yes, call him Smadge. Um, <laughs> I will reiterate that, Jimbo. That's a shit name, Smadge, like the chick from uh, Neighbours. Her name was Madge. But. Uh, so you, somebody internally has gone, Smadge, we love love the way that you automate the tests. We hear that you've got a Bachelor of IT. Um, yeah, how it actually worked was the, the guys that I worked with were developing a reporting platform for, for QA, basically. So they would run their manual tests and some automated tests as well, and they would pull the results out of a database into a web app that someone could look at and see what were the results of the test runs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were shithouse at programming. They hated programming. Um, I hated testing. Right. So, so you I just want to of, automate yourself out of having to do work. Yeah, I kind of said to them, hey, um, I actually came out of uni as a software developer. How about I do that? You guys can, can not worry about the programming. You take my testing workload and um, no managers need to kind of know about it type thing. Oh, interesting. So you <laughs> didn't even have a shift in job title. No. You just actually shifted workloads without telling yeah. Vodafone corporate yeah, people about it. basically. Right. And then a few weeks later, we showed them this new reporting app that I'd basically rewritten um, and they fucking loved it. Oh. So, um, so you instant promotion from there? No. I was no. a grad. There's no promotions. <laughs> <laughs> so you were you were telling me a rather aspirational story as to how you've um, changed the landscape of Vodafone grads. Oh, that yeah, yeah. Tell me more. Well, t- tell the people. Yeah, right. So I'll try and keep a long story short here. But basi- make it a long story. <laughs> Basically, we were, we came in on shit house grad pay, um, and I kind of you know after living in Sydney for a few months where the cost of living down here compared to Brisbane went, this is shit, we need to do something about this. Uh, so I kind of got the grad cohort to rally behind me and say, hey, I'm going to send an email to HR that says, you know, grads at companies XYZ get paid this much, why are we getting paid dog shit? Yeah, and what were the what were the actual dollars? What was the difference? Uh, we were on 46 and a half. Um, and I knew for a fact that, you know, Suncorp grads in Brisbane um, got either 55 or 60. Maybe that's just slightly extra pay because they have to deal with the pain of living in Queensland. You don't think it's like a disability pension? No, it's really not that bad. <laughs> Isn't it? In Brisbane. Yeah. But in, in summer, they're, uh, what, one hour and ten years behind New South Wales. <laughs> yeah. But there's actually one thing I've come to really appreciate is daylight saving. Oh, I fucking love it. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. How good is it when it starts? Mm. How shit is it when it finishes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fucked. It's like, oh, cool. The weather's starting to get colder, and also it's now dark at uh, at five p.m. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty shitty. But anyway, we're, we're a couple of months. October, I think, is when daylight savings kicks off again. Not far. So, a month and a bit. Yeah. Right. So, well done. You managed to. And yeah, the round out of the story is basically I got got all the grads behind me and said, "Hey, I'm going to send this email. Who doesn't want to be CC'd on it? Because it's all it's all or none." 
And how many people are in the uh, the cohort that you speak of? 16. 16. So the yeah. 16 of you that came in at the same entry level role? Yep. Um, so it went out, got a, got a bounce back email from HR saying, we'll come and talk to you guys. And um, yeah, the next month they, they bumped all our salaries up to 55. And awesome. every, every grad that's gone to Vodafone since then has started on at least 55. Well done. I've tried doing that sort of thing in the past. And um, normally I say, hey, this is fucked. Like, everyone, everyone, let's rally and do this together. You know, slightly uni- unionistic. Mm. I say, if we all say it, um, they can't say no. Mm. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 cool. Well, yeah, 100%, we're definitely there. So I'll send the email, I'll have the conversation, and, uh, and there's nothing but fucking crickets behind me. You end up fucking getting dog fired. cunt. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking dog. <laughs> exactly, and that's, uh, and then there's someone just, just from over the partition <laughs> <Yeah>. next door. <laughs> that was always going to fail. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, interesting. Um, so you're working at Waterphone, I think that's how it's pronounced. Waterphone. Waterphone, and as a as a programmer, how long? What was your tenure there? How long? Yeah, so I went from from that QA team. I, I actually ended up getting a secondment into transmission, which is just another department, working on a much bigger, much larger user base application, again, an internal app. Um, I did, ba- did that basically until the end of my degree. Yep. Uh, sorry, not the end of my degree, the end of my grad program, right. which was a total of 12 months. Yeah. Um, from there, a few things happened. So that new, the new internal app I was working on uh, they decided that they wanted to outsource it so they didn't kind of have to worry about it and have to employ software engineers in-house to build new features and maintain it and do all that. And that, from my experience, that seems to be a very, very common theme is that you can have a very talented group of programmers working for a, a, an enterprise and unless they're specifically a software development house or, or someone who produces software, they see it as a massive risk having yeah. programmers work for them. Yeah, and that's a mentality that I cannot fucking understand. Yeah. If you have programmers who are sitting there able to write custom shit for you every fucking day of the week, you can literally walk into the room and go, Oi, listen up, you bunch of fucking... You fucking dog. <laughs> listen up, I've got a great idea. Mm. What we're going to do is we're going to sit around, uh, we've got this system that does this, and then they have to enter X, Y, and Z into a particular screen, but what we don't want is for them to have to do that. How can we automate that? And then you have some guy, somebody who's Aspie as fuck in the back of the room who's, you know, hasn't showered in three weeks. Uh, he's had eight Red Bulls today and he can literally solve your automation problem within 15 minutes, right? Yeah. That is a huge asset to have. Mm. Think of the man hours that are saved by automating. Like everything that we do these days is leading towards automation. Everybody wants to automate everything. But a business who has an operational situation that is not 100% focused on software, they see it as a massive risk having software uh, developers working for them. Yeah. That really fucking frustrates me. Yeah. You'd be better as an organization, instead of having 75 spreadsheet jockeys, you know, who are all generally call themselves business analysts. Yeah. <laughs> we all know or, your, your or, joke's a job. Uh, or project managers or vendor managers yeah, exactly. or service managers. Those kinds of fucking roles, you just get somebody, you get half a dozen decent developers and pay them a reasonable amount of money. Mm. It doesn't even have to be amazing. And make sure that their workplace culture is good. Yeah. And you're going to have some fucking awesome stuff that's automated, but also fill them in on the end-to-end story, mm. which is, 
this is the problem we're trying to solve. This person does this and this person does that and therefore this is the outcome. How can we try and fix this? But what yeah. tends to happen even when they do have software guys on board is they just say, I need to take this Excel spreadsheet and turn it into this PDF to email to this person. Right? Yeah. And that programmer takes that very specific and finite task and makes it happen. Not realizing that if they'd gone two steps back the business person or the business analyst could have said, this is the real problem that we've got. This person sends this email, which is this spreadsheet, which goes to here, blah, blah, blah. And they could have actually automated the entire fucking arch so, or arc so that nobody has to really do any sort of manual, manual movement in the middle. Yeah. yeah, I just don't, I don't think software guys are given enough credit. No. That being said, 90% of the software guys I've met are fucking retarded. Should be shot. Am I the 1%? I think it's 10% smudge. If if okay, not. yeah. So I, f I see what bracket I fit in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could have coded up an answer quicker than, <laughs> quicker than that. Alrighty, we're back. We just had to take a quick piss break. Uh, well, I did because I'm old as shit and my bladder's shrinking. Presumably I also have prostate issues. Cheers. Cheers. Okay, so picking up. You do your Vodafone tenure, yep. and then um, Sam Armitage le reaches out to you. Sam Armitage? Oh, no, Sam Armitage. She's a fucking news reporter. <laughs> Sam something. Yeah. Um, no, so, launch yeah, reaches right. out and says, uh, Smadge, we love the way your dick stinks. <laughs> Come on over to uh, NBN. Yeah, um, so just to backtrack very, very quickly, slightly... Um, there was a six-month period where I worked for the company that uh, that the software I was working on was outsourced to. And so they kind of said, hey, you know, can you come and work for us for a little bit? You know the software. We don't ha really have anyone else that can work on it. They offered me a 12-month contract, cleared it with my managers at Vodafone because it was quite a conflict of interest type thing. I think some politics happened backstage that sort of I don't really know about or, or care about. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, I jumped ship got contracted by them for 12 months and contracted into Vodafone. Um, and that lasted seven months before, yeah, like you said, Sam Garden from Launch um, was the one. reached me on LinkedIn and said, hey, do you want to come and interview at NBN? And I went, fuck yeah, I do. Right. So that was... Knowing what you did about NBN though. I didn't know jack shit about NBN. Well, no one in the news <laughs> was saying this NBN thing, it's a fucking great idea. <laughs> Oh, all I heard, I all, all I heard was her say four twenty a day, and I went, "Where the fuck do I sign?" <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. yeah, I'll do anything for that kind <laughs> yeah. of money. Yeah, right. Congrats. <clears throat> yeah, and so, so that's how we ended up working together in that in that same team there for um, about twelve months or so. Like almost three years ago, exactly. Almost three years ago. Yeah, I really? think I started in September. I remember uh, I was saying earlier, but I remember seeing you in the foyer. Or is it foyer? Foyer of the um, of the building, I was get downstairs getting a coffee because I'd showed up bright and early at ten a.m. as I used to. Um, yeah. It's good for you. Yeah, because I knocked off. Because I started late, though, I would also knock off early. Uh, that seemed to work very well <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, from memory, the uh, the Greenwood at North Sydney got clobbered quite normally a few punished times. on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Yes, yeah, so on my one day a week in the office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Solid five hours. Yeah. Wait, it wasn't even solid. I'd had an hour and a half for lunch as well. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Go and get myself some bun me. Oh, dear God, those Vietnamese pork rolls. Destination roll. Fucking amazing. Anyway, mm-hmm. sidetracked. Right, so end up working at MBN. Um, and, and since then, you, you've done a bunch of different sort of, well, you, you worked at MBN for a while. You came in as a, as a junior. I think in mm-hmm. terms of your skill set, that probably wasn't necessarily fair. Not so much from your skills, but more so your ability to deconstruct a problem. That was like, that's the thing that kind of sets anybody out in any role whatsoever. It's not about knowing what the processes are and following them. It's about figuring out a way to solve a problem in an effective way, Mm. you know, and what's the most efficient way you can solve the problem that helps as well. But more uh, people are so worried about being efficient these days Mm. instead of concentrating on being effective. Yeah. There's no point automating or doing something really, really quickly that gives you fuck all output. Honestly, like he, a guy I used to work for, he would be concentrating on constantly being as efficient as possible on all of the tasks he did every day instead of concentrating on the stuff that was actually fucking worthwhile. Yeah. And I think we tend to, in society, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a problem as well. We're, we're concentrating on getting stuff done as quickly as possible instead of stopping and going, well, I can get rid of fucking 80% of this bullshit. And just do three or four things that are actually either really, really meaningful to me as a person or that have a, a profound influence on somebody else. Yeah, I think that's one of the hardest things about being a programmer is learning to not be a perfectionist. Yes. And it's like, I think I remember distinctly you told me one time is you asked me, what's the right code to write? Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? You said the one that makes you money. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Just do your job and yep. that's it, man. There like, are so many pieces of shit software out there. Like if you look at it from a purely um, programmer or programmatical point of view, like what's the best? If you take everything you learn in university and you talk about data objects and different, you know, should this be a, a dictionary or an array or a hash table or whatever the case, who fucking cares? And half of the people listening have fucking fallen asleep with me just even saying that. But... <laughs> The reality is it doesn't fucking matter. Take it, get it doing a thing so that people can interact with it and then then you can go, okay, well, we can enhance this or it didn't fucking work anyway. Mm. Throw it in the fucking bin. Yeah. 80% of the code you write is going to end up in the bin at some point. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's funny you say that about that perfectionist thing, which is uh, having a conversation with actually Raf the other day and another friend which is this idea of, and I ha- I've, I've had this myself a lot that I've struggled with in my life, is I don't want to do something unless I've researched as much as possible and when I take it on, it's going to be 100% perfect. Take even this whole endeavor that I've done here. Like, from mine, what I needed to do was go and spend several thousand dollars on camera gear. Sorry, guys. Smadge has just burped off microphone. I'm fucking disgusted. I might have to end this early. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, so from my, my, my perfectionist point of view was, I'm not going to start recording anything at all until I've got a full studio set up, until I've got all of the camera gear that I think is going to be required, that I've got myself in the perfect position to actually take something on. But once, once I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It doesn't matter. Do it imperfect. Do it imperfect, but do it often. Mm. Even yesterday, I uploaded a fucking... Because I'm not much of an Instagrammer, I uploaded a, a video to Instagram that was 90 seconds long. And Instagram only takes videos that are 60 seconds long, it turns out. Mm. But I didn't know that. 
No, that's and fine. It yeah. wasn't until I watched it back and I was like, no, it missed the best part. <laughs> Which is, for any, everybody else's benefit, it was, uh, what do you do if you have no skills? You become a journalist. Right? Uh, that, was yes. the, that was the kicker, right? Yeah. But that, that wasn't even, that wasn't an Instagram. What could I do? I could go and delete it. Fuck it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But the thing is, this is like, it's not even a bad setup. It's all right. It's doable. It gets the job done. It sounds all right. It sounds yeah. good enough. Yeah, but it, that, that's... Like, and, and I'm not even not even concerned. If it sounded like shit and nobody fucking listened to it, I'd still be okay because I made that peace with myself where the idea was to do something that's imperfect but continue iterating on it and keep doing it slightly less shit the next time. Yeah. Right? Just be slightly less shit next time. Yeah. And if there's any meaning behind it, some people will get on board and some people will, you know, give a thumbs up here and there. But... My idea was do this for fucking 12 months, aim to have a thousand people following it on Facebook in 12 months time. That was it. That was my only goal. And so I will not be swayed from that. You know, if it ends up in 12 months time from, from when it initially kicked off and I've got 400 people on Facebook, fucking no dramas. Like I'll, I'll mm. still be okay with that because yeah. it's still something that I, that I kind of care about and that I, even if even if it's not necessarily resonating with a lot of people, I'm being imperfect, but I'm continuing to be slightly less shit each time. Um, and that's that's the thing I find that tends to stop a lot of people from trying stuff is that they want to do it perfect. They want to make mm. sure it doesn't fail. Well, they care too much about what other people think. That's In, from from a negative connotation, like yep. they're scared of doing things because, oh, like. My voice sounds shit on radio. I know my voice sounds shit. I came out here anyway. I'm Ocaraz. No, I don't know about that. Like whatever. Something needs to explain this erection I've got. <laughs> uh, Could just be that I'm sitting here across from you. Yeah. So that that, that's actually one of the the points that I was going to to actually raise. Some of the stuff that I'd written down in my um carefully uh, architected notebook here was this idea of jealousy. And I was having a conversation with someone at work the other day. Jealousy is something that I don't think I've ever, like I don't think I've ever felt. I think maybe in my teen years, maybe I did. But I, I, th I think I've been, I guess I have to say I've been fortunate. But the thing is, as a teenager, you feel all the emotions. Oh, all of them all the time. Yeah. And they're all completely conflicting and yeah. all fucking confusing. Yeah. And then at the same time, you're like, oh, I wonder what a vagina feels like. <laughs> I still wonder. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember the first time, I kid you not, the first time I touched a vagina and I would have been reasonably young at this point. When I say reasonably young, I don't know. I couldn't tell you the age, 13, 14. Sorry, mum. Uh, no, it wasn't hers. <laughs> <laughs> it was your mum's oh, There it is I don't have a sound bite Oh look at that That's about all I got <laughs> uh, So the um, The very first time I touched a vagina I was so Scared about what it was I was like I'm only doing it If I can put a plastic bag On my hand first <laughs> <laughs> I remember what? it so vividly. What? I know. Look, you know, I was young. What the fuck did I know? Oh, fuck. It was, it, was, it was a bizarre, bizarre time of my life. Anyway, so now I just use gloves. 
<laughs> but like dishwashing gloves too. So uh, if I end up getting, you know, f- four fingers in, uh, make sure that my elbow's still reasonably protected. Uh, right. So, <laughs> so but that, that is legitimately, that is one of the things that you, you just brought up there that I was going to raise. So this What, elbow deep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, so how is your dad? <laughs> so... I, <laughs> They don't all have to be gay jokes, <laughs> Smash. <laughs> You're just making it, <laughs> making it thusly. The um, yeah, the judgment of others. Mm. The, it, has that played a? Well, let's let's cast your mind back over the last sort of ten years, I guess. Would you have considered yourself a, a confident person? No, I don't think I. I don't think I ever really have been. Um, Self confidence is one of those things that I've struggled with forever because. Like, I, I was always, growing up, I was always the token fat kid. Really? I was always the, the token chunky fat white kid. Yeah, right. And, um... Where were you hanging out? Brisbane. Why were you the white kid? Brisbane. What was the... What was Northern the, suburbs, Brisbane. What was the sort of nationality of the people that you were hanging out with? Uh, a lot of my friends in primary school in particular were uh, Indian, Filipino. Oh, okay. So you legitimately were the white kid. Yeah, in, okay. in, in at least those circles, yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, jealousy of others? No, I don't think so. Um, but I've always had that thing where I'm self-conscious. Um, things like going to shopping centers even. Like when I was in my teenage years, I hated going to the shopping center because I was so self-conscious. Okay, how, how did that manifest? I got no idea. No, I mean, what what was your behavior? What were you feeling? Oh, um, it's it's just stupid. You just feel like everyone's looking at you, and they're not. Mm. But it's just what you feel. You feel like everyone's looking at you. You you start to hyper focus on like oh, like the clothes you're wearing, the way you're walking. Because um, I was overweight for most of my teenage life. How sucking, overweight are we talking? Sucking your stomach in. Oh, like at least twenty percent body fat. I have no context. Um, like round. <laughs> How fat were you? I was round, round fat. Roundish. <laughs> I was rotund. Okay, so, but, what, what's, what was your body weight? How tall are you? Were you five? So, I'm six foot exactly. Okay. Um, the heaviest I ever got was, well, actually, not even high school years. The heaviest I got was 101.5. Right. Uh, and that was actually during my grad year. At, um, at uni. So by the time you'd met me, I'd already started losing weight. Okay. Um, and now I'm, well, I got measurements done yesterday. I'm 82.7. Hey, wow. Awesome. Yeah. And what, do, do you have a goal weight in mind or do you, do you have a, so this, for me, the, it wouldn't be so much about attaining a goal weight because a goal weight is a metric that's definitely measurable, obviously. You can mm. say, yes, I've reached X amount of kilos. And for me, I'm I'm 6'4", which obviously people are sick of fucking hearing, but... We get it. You're fucking tall. Yeah. I'm also very good looking and that's really, really well hung. <laughs> the, uh, and modest. <laughs> hey, I tell jokes. Yeah. Uh, so the heaviest I was, was I ticked... I just ticked over 100 kegs. Mm. Just over. And I was like, oh, maybe I should probably have a look at that at some point yeah uh, i mean i was married two kids uh, i was quite comfortable with my life it didn't really bother me but i just went oh 100 okay well that's yeah. something i remember the day you came to work with celery uh celery carrot and hummus and someone goes <laughs> you want a diet and you went 
No, I like Paul. hummus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul's like, the fuck is this rabbit food you're eating? <laughs> I need something to dip in my hummus. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's what it was. I was like, I just really like hummus a lot. Yeah. Oh, they were wonderful days. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my, my weight sort of fluctuated. But the thing that's... Sometimes I'd find myself feeling a little bit uncomfortable in clothes that I was wearing. But often what I would do is just put on different clothes. Mm, right. The, I think the, the problem is there's no metric that can, that can measure how comfortable you are in your own skin. Yeah, exactly. And, and scale weight is probably the worst one to pick, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't even look at that anymore, really. Yeah. I go by my pant size and like how I look in the mirror, basically. Yeah, because that's what that's what matters. It's like I, this guy I started following on YouTube recently. He says the only thing that matters is how good you look naked. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like, but also for me, that's also when the lights are off. <laughs> is it because you're trying to fit in with the black guys that you used to hang out with? <laughs> right. So that how good you look naked? Again, even that though. I don't think I look particularly fantastic naked, but you guarantee if I'm in the position where I've managed to convince somebody to see me naked, I'm feeling fantastic about myself. So my self-confidence is through the fucking roof. And confidence is everything. Exactly. Yeah. You can, you could be 145 kilos. Like look at Carl, someone like Carl Sanderlands. Mm. He's 140 odd kegs. That hippie's got some serious cash in the bank. He's smashing the spine out of some ridiculously good looking model who's half his age. And he he was he was slaying yes uh, do it nice one he was slaying some serious poon for mm. a period of years there yeah like all, and people aren't attracted to him for his physicality no so, my brothers I have the exact same thing with them my brothers are, are not as tall as me um, one in particular it, it seems to have this real fucking um, almost he's got his nose out of joint. Uh. About uh, about whether it's his height or whatever, there's a lot of shortcomings there. But it's not it's not about what what you look like or or, or how other people. Well, it is a bit about how other people perceive you. But the way that they perceive you is going to be based on your self confidence and your ability to stand there and say, "Yeah, I fucking am this," and mm-hmm. be able to own it and just be like comfortable in your own skin. That's yeah. I find that being really important. It's really only very, very recently that I've learned to own who I am and what I look like and play to my strengths and be confident. And yeah, sure, like weight loss played somewhat of a role in that. But I think just learning to not, to let go of caring so much about what other people think. Yeah. Like um, the best example I can think of is like recently, obviously, you know, I got my nose pierced. Yes. And... How I, is being gay, though? Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got, I'm getting so much more dick now. <laughs> <laughs> but and like, not the shitty crusty ones you used to be getting. No, yeah. exactly. But yeah. I, I never would have done this because I cared so much about what other people thought of me that I would not do things that I wanted to do because I was scared of looking stupid or scared of looking looking dumb or or not looking attractive or whatever. Yeah. And now I'm just like, that might look all right. Fucking yeah. went the next Saturday and got it done and went 
Yeah, cool. Back myself. Well done. Yeah, congrats. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all we can do. Is like, that that's something very very hard for me to try and wrap my head around. Um, in any capacity, is this idea that before I do something, I'm going to think about what other people will think of it. I've, I've not. Maybe that's a maybe that's a slight on my behalf that it's something that you know maybe I'm not compassionate or I don't think of other people enough I, I don't think that's necessarily the case but the fact that I'm not stopping and going before I do x I'm like I'm not going to go out and shoot up a fucking family park I'm not going to be like oh I just feel like you know mm. taking taking a shotgun and just knocking a few kids on the head but that if I'm going to do something in my life, I just go, hey, let's just fucking figure it out and see what happens along the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's normal. I mean, even before I got it done, I asked a few people kind of what their opinion was. I was like, hey, you know, floated the idea around what do you reckon this would look like? Yeah. And, you know, it was a mixed response. Um, yeah. Some people were like, yeah, go get it done. Some people were like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Other people were like, no, nah, I don't do that. I look shit. But the people that said that were very conservative people anyway. Yeah. You mean politically or just general, the, the, just, the life? Just generally quite conservative. Okay. Um, so I kind of went, whatever, like that's good enough for me. Let's just, just pull trigger. So how have you, <laughs> how have you found, um, how have you found your friends then? Like, cause you've, I remember, was it six to 12 months ago, you put up a post on Facebook saying, um, you know, I just wanted to put it out there that uh, I'm in a bad place mentally. I've been suffering from depression. Um, I'm dealing with it. Uh, I mean, we had a lengthy conversation at the pub a couple of months back now. And it was actually, it was you and I sitting there having this kind of very brutal conversation around suicide and depression and how it affects our lives. And and you or I, you and I were kind of on that same wavelength where it's like, yeah, these are the things that I go through. And it seemed like the other five or six people that were sitting there at the table were almost like dumbstruck mm. by the fact that, people would would go through this or think these things and and not just that but openly talk about it yeah yeah i guess yeah that's probably more so the thing yeah like, what do you mean you thought about killing yourself yeah yeah like, not not just the once yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe this morning <laughs> yeah that, that 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 was quite surprising so how did you um i don't know what was your takeaway from that that conversation i i felt i felt it was quite a positive thing to see other people like eyes wide open going, are you fucking serious? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I went down to my worst six months ago and have been in recovery since. But, um, so yeah, that would have been what, I mean, four four months ago that conversation took place. I guess so, I don't um, know. I have, I have no understanding or concept of time. <laughs> I, I think, I remember distinctly um, two things from that night. One was, uh, was Drew, kind of like wide-eyed going, what the hell have you been through? Yeah. Um, and the other being... And he was quite inquisitive too, which was good. He was very inquisitive and very supportive. And the other one being Paul, I mean, bless his heart, he's the way he is. He's probably one of the hardest nails I've ever met in my life. And him going, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck do you mean you're sad? Sad about what? <laughs> what are you depressed about? So Paul's, yeah, so Paul's grandson. Um, I was, Paul and I were sitting outside of the, um, wow, it's the pub at Kalara, the green something, not the green wood. Where's the green wood at? I can't remember what it's called. Green Gate. Yeah, the Green Gate Hotel. So the green, we're sitting outside the uh, Green Gate Hotel <coughs> in Kalara. He and I, because we have the ability to sink a, a reasonable amount of 
alcohol. We're drinking. We'd bought jugs for everyone. We just last time we went in, we bought jugs, brought out jugs, and then everyone left after just finishing one of the jugs. So he and right. I had two full ju- uh, full of, a full jug of beer each, and we were sitting out on the stools outside on the horrific highway, drinking out of full size jugs. Yeah, nice. And that's when he told me about the fucking the the bullshit with his grandson having leukemia, three years old. The prognosis was he was going to die. Yeah, it's pretty heavy. He is one <clears throat> of the most stoic people. Like, as much as he comes off as really um, sort of... Uh, he's quite an abrasive individual at the best of times. He lives in St. Ives. He's made a decent amount of money, but he has done it through working hard. Um, he hasn't sort of come from old money. I've, I've a huge amount of respect for him and, and what he's been able to accomplish and the fact that he's able to take on life every day, even just knowing that your grandson of three years old is facing death, mm. like imminent death, I don't think I could function as a human being. No. And he was still showing up to work every day, being racist as fuck and, mm. you know, making yeah. his jokes and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Remember when he broke his back? Oh, yeah. And he was in a back brace. Yes. At work. Yes. And he was like, how you going, Paul? He's like... Good. Like, as if, yeah, what, I'm all right. what are you talking Whatever. about? Whatever. What like, the fuck? I'm like, how's your back? He's like, eh, still a pain in the back. <laughs> in this brace. It's like, yeah. uh, that's the only thing keeping you upright the right top, now. Yeah, and the top, of, <laughs> the top of the brace was around where his pectoral muscles would be if he had any. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because it sort of poked out, it looked like he had some quite decent teenage breasts. Yeah, I wasn't looking that closely. Right. Anyway, I, I never—I I swear I never masturbated to it. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, the ability then to have a level of self confidence, trust in trust in your your direction, like your your interpretation of society and what what it is that you need to do to sort of fill the void. What, what is it that What's the James-sized hole that society is missing, I guess? Where you can feel confident in the fact that you can show up and do something every day and feel okay about it. Hmm. And let's just start with feeling okay. Like, not feel like you're changing the world. Just feel like you're filling that place that you need to fill in society. Yep. Oh, man, that's that's a tough question. Look, for me... Take your time. For me, it's about following my passions and just just giving it everything. Like I think the one thing that I can really credit myself to above all else is my work ethic that I've had, like literally since since my first day of primary school. My parents will tell you, you know, I was always the hardest worker. And I think you know, oh, you know, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, his his mantra is be the hardest worker in every room you walk into. Right. You know. Um, that's kind of what I've tried to do a little bit and my confidence has come from just applying myself and just doing my best and achieving some level of proficiency you know without without trying to sound like up myself or anything like that just like working this is a safe space <laughs> okay good yeah I mean I just I just have certain things I want to achieve in my career obviously one of them is you know making a lot of money but who doesn't have that goal um, do you have a do you have a set number that is going to make you happy? No, not really. I just I you know, in in the 
later stages of my current uh, job position, what I've actually taken a lot of joy from is mentoring others. Okay. Particularly my two juniors. Um, earlier in my career when I first started, I got a lot of joy out of seeing people use the software that I'd written hmm. and... You know, find benefit from find it. Find benefit from it and appreciate it. Whereas now, for me, it's more about... Um, you know, I've taken a, bit, a little bit more of that mentoring or seniorship type role. Senior leadership, leadership. type role. Yep. Um, we can make seniorship a word. Seniorship, leadership. Senior Sen- leadership. Seniorship. Yeah. Raph made irregardless a word. So that's not can, a word. It's not a word. Raph, it's not a word. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> sorry, bro. That's not a word. Irregardless <laughs> of what you think, Smudge. <laughs> oh, <fuck off. laughs> um, so the, have you... When you went through your like ultra depressive stages, and uh, I mean that's that's going to be an ongoing battle. It's it's not going to leave you in a hurry. No. You're still going to have that sort of daily fight. Were you seeking some sort of therapy, um, psychologist, counselor? Yeah. So um, when it sort of all really climaxed, and I I had this feeling inside me that I was like. I am not okay and I need help right now. Um, I basically went straight from work to the doctor. Um, Just to a GP? To a GP. Um, I, wa- I walked into my boss's room and I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth before I started crying. I was like, yeah, right. I am not okay and I couldn't even finish the sentence. Um, so I left, uh, went to the doctor. She put me straight on to actually... Um, the link between RAF and I is that we're on the same drug. SSRIs? Yeah, Lexapro. Um, got me straight onto that and got me into psychology the next week. And that was, uh, so that was on a mental health plan then? On a mental health plan, yeah. yeah. And what was that, five sessions? Uh, I had, uh, I think I had 10 all up. Right, but the government... Gov- okay, really? Yeah, yeah right. so six and then another four. Okay. I've had two more since, so I think 12 all up. Um, the last two I paid for out of my own pocket. Um, uh, I went, I went home for a week in between that sort of thing. When you say home, you mean back to, uh, back to Queensland? Queensland yeah. yeah. And, um, man, that was a tough week. That was when, you know, like I lost like, I lost like six kilos in two weeks because I literally wasn't eating. So all you need to overcome your weight problems is a good bout of depression. That's it. <laughs> Right. That's that's what I said to a few people in in a in a joking way. I get a little bit too dark with my depression jokes sometimes. I think no, you so, lean into it, man. You're the one who's gone through it. I reckon someone asked me what's what's your secret to weight loss. I said, bro, just get your heart broken and don't eat for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> nice one. Yep. So um, <clears throat> yeah, but I um, always encourage a good coke addiction. That always tends to help with the weight loss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you tried ice? <laughs> Not yet. Not you. Oh. <laughs> but I like the fact that you're aspirational. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> Someday I'll be good enough. <laughs> Someday I'll be good enough to go and hang out in a public park <laughs> smoking ice with the local 13-year-olds. <laughs> Maybe then Josh will respect me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's not true. I respect you greatly. That's why you're fucking sitting here. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, so yeah, you know, Four four months worth of of psychology, um, back on the drug that I was on all through basically my teenage life. Um, so you already had uh, you were already taking antidepressants in your teen years. Yeah, this is this was the second bout that I've been through. Okay, um, and yeah, basically to here to where I am today, 
somewhat recovered, I think you could say. Um, I mean, to the point where at least my psychologist doesn't think she has too much more to offer me, which is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, in my teenage years, it was more... I don't, I don't really know if I had depression in my teenage years. I think I was just a hormonal fuck. Yeah, um, well, most teenagers are, I most, most are, right? I think I would have benefited a lot more from counselling in my teenage years, which I, would, which I was never offered. Oh, okay, so you just went straight on to the antidepressants when you were in your teen years. Yeah, I mean, I was just, like I said, a hormonal shit. Had a lot of problems with anger. Um, didn't get along with my parents at all. And mum just went, took me to the GP and they put me on Lexapro at a very low dose. Okay. Um, and kind of went, that'll sort him out. Off you go, Tiger. And um, I was on that on and off for, for several years. You didn't have any sort of ADHD diagnosis or anything of that? No, nothing ilk. like that. Um, never had any of the of the symptoms that, I ha- that I've had now. So um, I ended up coming off the drug after I'd moved to Sydney. So I was on it quite long term, just at a very low dose. Are there any uh, effects regarding alcohol or, or drug use alongside Lexapro that you're aware of? Um, alcohol does make, does uh, sort of affect you more. So, so you mean you actually save money in the long run? Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm now more <laughs> of a Cadbury than I was before. <laughs> Cadbury, okay. so that that's, uh, what was Cadbury's slogan? Glass and a half of full cream milk in every block yeah, so yeah, yeah Cab- so. Cadbury, Cadbury girl is a uh, or Cadbury person is a somebody who gets drunk after a glass and a half of alcohol basically yeah so keep me off the vodka cruises and we're good <laughs> <laughs> um, but it goes so well with your nose piercing I know <laughs> uh, but, sh- yeah. so now with your life then have you so you would you consider yourself now an adult I guess so like, do you feel it, or are you like, well, I'm nearly thirty, so I have to say I'm an adult? Um, yeah, I, I think I think I really felt like an adult for the first time when I turned twenty-five and, and moved to Sydney, um, right. away from my family. But that everything. is a big—that's actually that a was, pretty big deal. I mean, I had already lived out of home for a year at that point, but I was ten minutes down the road from mum and dad, so it wasn't really. Was your mum still washing your clothes? No. Okay. No. Well, I still fly up every weekend to get her to wash mine. <laughs> have you have you been have you been uh, of that? What I tend to find is um, I, I hang out with some reasonably aspirational people, like people who are aspiring aspiring to actually do something with themselves, do something with their life. They want to start a business, or they want to, you know, do a degree, or they want to study this, and they want to learn that. What I'm finding though is. I can stand there and give them a huge amount of encouragement. Like, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. Like Bensky, who was on a few apps ago, when he was starting his business, he was reaching out to everyone that he knew saying, look, I want to start my own business. The idea is tell everyone that you fucking know that you want to do this thing. Take on board the good vibes that people give you. And the people who are ultra conservative, like you said, regarding the stuff that you've, uh, the people that you've interacted with is... Yeah, you are going to have a level of naysayers who are like, no, no, you've got a good job, you know, it's a, it's a set wage and all these kinds of things. But the aspirational people, still a lot of them have these grandiose ideas that they want to actually take on, but it seems like they're waiting for somebody to stand there and hold out their hand and say, mm. come with me, I'll show you the way. Well, they want to play it too safe. 
Yeah, well, they're, they're looking for the perfectionist side of things or they are definitely playing it too safe where they're like, no, no, it's okay, I'm going to do this one so I've got my fixed income and then I'm going to do this one as well because, you know, one day that's going to work out. The reality is, unless your ball's deep in something, it's probably not going to work out to be amazing. Do you find yourself still in this position today where you're seeking, not so much a father figure, but I'll use that as the example. Are you seeking a father figure that is going to kind of take you and prop you up and show you the way to your success? Or are you now of the opinion that you control your own success? Uh, Definitely the latter, I think. Yeah. Um, For me now, it's just about you know, following my, my drive and my passion and just, you know, taking risks when I need to. Yeah, calculated and risks, obviously. Calculated risks, obviously. And, um, yeah, I, I don't think... I, I, like, I've, I've had mentoring. I've had great mentors along the way. Have you? Who were yep. they? Um, the most influential to me would have been my friend Thomas, uh, who was my mentor at Vodafone. He was a senior engineer, contracted, and he basically took me under his wing and taught me basically everything I know right? Um, until such time as I got to NBN and met, you, met all you guys. And then he was like, you're on your own, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's going to work at NBN, <laughs> if you're not suicidal, you maybe should be. <laughs> <laughs> you will be soon. <laughs> oh, what a great place to work. Uh, right. um, yeah, so it's a bit funny. You know, now I, I used to think, when I was at uni... I had this thing where I was like, how do you know when you've become a professional at something? Mm. And I think I finally found the answer. It's that when you're the one teaching and not being taught anymore to, to a degree, like you're yeah. kind of showing other people um, proficiency in something. There is a bit of that. Now, I, I, might, I might qualify what you're saying because there was a period where I was teaching at TAFE and, and university when I was about 28, 29, so your age. And... I was teaching a class of Java, a, teach, a, a class in Java programming. Right. I never did Java. <clears throat> right? Never did it. But all I had to do was stay one week ahead of where the class was uh, in the book yeah. to be able to answer the questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I did. Right. That's all I did. So I, I, I will I think say they call that fraud. Not no. professionalism. No, that's called uh, that's called being a teacher in adult education. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where I learnt that from? From the other teachers. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, but that's the thing: is the teacher is not there to be the oracle, the knower of all. Mm. The teacher is there basically to be a facilitator. Yeah. Particularly in an adult education setting. You should be, you're an adult, you're there, you should be charged with the responsibility of figuring your, figuring your own shit out to some degree. That's, that's the way it fucking should be. It's the same at university. I was teaching first and second year stuff in university. And I mean, I was a fucking brutal teacher. I, my, my opening thing was, uh, look guys, uh, my name's Josh, I've done this, that and the other in my career and I tend to swear a bit. So if that pisses you off, then I suggest you get the fuck out of my class. <laughs> No one left. I'm like, all right, all cool. Right, we're all on go. board. Let's yeah. do it. Um, I mean, that's not going to fly in um, in primary school. <laughs> my name's Mr. Ellis, kids. And if you don't like my swearing, get the fuck out. And your parents, <laughs> your parents are drug addicts, and your mum should have swallowed you. <laughs> oh, there is. We're into that part of the show now. 
uh, right. But the, the, so yeah, I, I, back to your original point is like once you're teaching somebody else, I wouldn't always say that necessarily it means you're pro- professional, but it definitely means the person you're talking to is dumber than you. <laughs> Maybe it says more about them. No, no, that's no. a metric I can stand by. <laughs> no, no, I'm taking that to my next performance review. You pull the lever on the <laughs> side of your chair to make it go down. All of a sudden, you're a fucking office professional. Yeah. yeah. Good job, Javed. <laughs> Uh, how do you how do you cope with um, I've never seen you so you're I mean you're kind of the generation behind me we're a similar age by the time we're in our sixties we're going to be of the same generation but how do you go regarding um, phone addiction and the need for likes and interactions on social media Don't care no yeah um, look I have Instagram and and that What's your Instagram name uh, just James X Whitehead. James X Whitehead. Nothing, nothing too creative. Yeah. Uh, um, the X stands for Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have Twitter, but I don't really get it. I don't really understand what Twitter is for. I mostly just have it to follow what what other whatever else is going on type thing. If Twitter I see something a, interesting, I'll follow it. But Twitter is a great place for like garbage fires. It's fucking yeah, right. phenomenal. Yeah, it's so good. Totwell's has 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 the odd one on there. Does he? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We won't get into that one. Nah. It's going to abandon <laughs> yeah. 96% of the audience. Yeah. Which um, just leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming I'm going to listen back to this. <laughs> you will. Uh, I guarantee you'll listen to it five times. <laughs> and overthink every single thing that I said. Nah, I wouldn't worry about it. Just like after you fuck a fat chick, you just say, oh, well, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and I've, I was mixing it with my Lexapro. <laughs> Um, uh, how have your so alcohol your would you say that alcohol played a huge part in your life sort of in your late teens and early 20s and well, maybe into your late 20s as well I don't think any more than any other late teen early 20 yeah. I mean obviously went went out and got smashed every weekend but yeah no no more than than anyone else that I knew so yeah yeah, I don't, I don't think so, no. I mean, that's, a, again, like, that's a, uh, what is that? The It's almost like the theory of relativity there because you're getting smashed, but you're naturally going to gravitate towards people that are also getting smashed because, you know, misery loves company. Was there ever a point where you were like, you know, the drugs and alcohol are starting to, starting to maybe have a negative impact on my, my overall life and it's, you know, my strategy of being successful at some point? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the only time I've really felt like that was uh, after my third girlfriend um, broke up with me and I hit a bit of a downward spiral after that and I was literally going out two or three times a week and getting absolutely trolleyed. Um, there was a few months later that I, you know, I kind of looked at myself in the mirror and went, okay, we've, we've burnt off a bit of steam. You look like shit. You feel like shit. It's time to kind of right the ship, right the ship a little bit, get back in the gym and start eating good again and stop and lay off the piss a little bit. Um, stop going out on a fucking Tuesday, Wednesday night with one person that's half keen type thing. That's when you meet the most interesting people though, in my experience. I don't know. Going out on a Monday night to a pub to get, like with the intention of getting absolutely fucking trolleyed. 
that's actually <laughs> when you meet those people who are like, oh, you're fucking hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can take you back and we're going to do anything. <laughs> do you know where I can get a bag? Of course I do. It's a fucking Monday. <laughs> I definitely can't continue the rest of that. <laughs> <laughs> they are super interesting people. <laughs> Because it's like, well, no, this is your lifestyle. For me, it's like going mm-hmm. out and getting getting munted on a Monday is like, oh, well, this is a bit different. <laughs> Whereas them, it's like, yeah, it's fucking Monday. So what? <laughs> Do you ne- have any... um Neck a long neck VB at quarter <laughs> eight in the fucking morning. Yeah, dog counts. <laughs> Where um, how do you find yourself positioned? So you're you're now you're going to be into you're going to be earning reasonable amount of money at this point in your career. You're sort of thirty odd. You're, what's happening now is you're you're sort of reaching that the middle part of the arc, right? So for the next sort of ten years, you're going to be sort of up in the, in that upper echelon in terms of your earning ability. There's going to be mm. you're going to be riding the CPI and whatever, but so it will continue to go up for a while. But then you you, you you know, you'll sort of plateau at the top for a bit. Yeah, I mean, depending where I jump around and the size of the company I work for and things like that. But yeah, yeah. What um, how have your like? Do you have much interaction regarding sort of politics or anything like that? Do you have any um, cross pollination? I get <sighs> that one snuck up on me. <laughs> Do you have any um, yeah, interaction with? politics at all in australia do you have not really um look i'll I'll tell you what i told my best mate um what's his uh, name uh tom at the most recent election yeah um he he asked me who i voted for he told me he voted liberal because he said he's not a he's not a low-class piece of shit or whatever the word (laughs) and um i said to him i voted greens and he said why is that and i said i support their i support their stance on drug policies (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which is like we should make them legal, like bring in pill testing and all that sort of stuff. Pill so. testing, I, I actually, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. I think that seems to be a, a pretty reasonable thing. Yeah, get, people are doing get, drugs anyway. Get rid of the dogs and all that. Like people are going to find the shit. Yeah, if someone wants to get munted, they will find a way. They at least make it somewhat half safe. As a parent out there, would you rather that your son or daughter be doing? Pills that have been tested at a, a music festival or pills that haven't been tested and were snuck in the asshole of some, you know, questionable human being from Western Sydney, uh, like literally inside their butthole. Mm. What would you prefer? Like that, that it came in in a bum bag and they could take it to somewhere and get it tested and somebody goes, yeah, that, that's fine. No dramas. That's good. Go have a great time. Yeah. By that point, or, by that point they've decided that they're going to take the drug anyway, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're at a music festival... They want to have a great time with their friends. They're gonna take a pill or two. At least, at least have it tested. Yes. Like you know, fairly straightforward answer, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, at no. least make it safe, right? I'm okay with that. Um, the, the outcome is that we're gonna have less deaths from yeah. dirty drugs and overdosing. Well, a friend of a friend of mine very recently, um, I won't name this one, but had. Had a mate go to a festival in Melbourne, take gear from a provider that they'd used before, um, and fucking died. It was really? a it was a it was a shit batch, whatever it was. Like they hadn't tested it um, for whatever reason. Don't think it was no D. It was just a shit batch, right. um, and he kind of went, "Holy shit, that queen me." Fuck. Um, so yeah, I'm all for the testing. Get rid of the dogs. 
Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know. There's a a lengthy conversation to have there on, like, both sides of it. Yeah. I think it should be encouraged, though, to have the conversation rather than just go, no, drugs are illegal. We're not going to fucking test them. Yeah. Well, people are going to fucking take them anyway. Yeah. Uh, have you? How are you finding traversing the sort of current um, social climate on um, on the Facebooks and the Grams and whatever um, regarding being? Well, you're now a middle aged white man, really. How are you finding that side of things? How, what do you think it means? I guess to be to be a man. I mean that it's something that shouldn't be fucking frowned upon because you're a male. Yep. You identify with one of the two real genders. <laughs> um, social media has just become such... There's so much good out there, but it's become such a toxic thing. Mm. Um, and, like, the fitness industry is probably one of the most fucked up. Really? How so? Like, they will... The, the models that they have pushing supplements for supplement companies on some of these pages and YouTube channels and Instagram, whatever, like, come on. They are on that much fucking gear. That it doesn't matter what supplements they're taking. They look shredded all year round, rain, hail or shine, every day of the year they're shredded because they're on whatever cocktail of fucking whatever, right? Right. And there's just, like, there's just such this expectation among that sort of section of society, like... If you don't have abs, you're nothing, basically. You right. Know? And especially for, like, a young dude who's self-conscious looking at that shit going, oh, crap, chicks are never going to like me because I don't have abs. Like, that's the kind of stuff that goes through your head if you if you take that stuff in too much. Okay, that's interesting. I, uh, that was another point that I was going to bring up. So, when we were working together, you were very much into the, you know, do you even lift bro sort of culture. mm yeah, so you're not right. So you're not part of that lifestyle anymore. No, um, I mean I'm. I still go to the gym and eat relatively clean and all that for me and me only now. Uh, whereas before it was because I wanted to look good for other people, type thing. Um, and I know now also. I mean, with everything I went through this year, that training and training really hard is really good for my mental state. For sure, yeah. Um, the harder I train, the better I feel for day or days afterwards. Um, if I'm leaving the gym just about on my hands and knees, crawling out of the place, I know I'm going to feel fucking awesome. You're um, going to have a bit of delayed onset muscle. It's going to be sore as shit. Yes. But mentally, I'm going to be feeling really good. All right, so you get that endorphin rush... Um, and you're feeling good. Are you doing a mix of cardio and resistance training as well? Um, I, I see a PT twice a week and train by myself another two or three times, depending on how busy I am. Um, we do a variety of programs. Right now, we're doing quite heavy volume um, resistance training, but I also do a bit of cardio on my own time. Um, walking's a great one. Yep. Um, I try and walk five to seven Ks at least two or three times a week. Yeah, right, okay. I know up, that's up and really down good. hills? Uh, no, I just I have a circuit of Chatswood that I mapped out. Yep. And I kind of know that I can, I, you know, depending on the day, how lazy or not I'm feeling, I can go as short as like four and a half or as long as sort of seven, seven and a half, depending on what streets I turn down. But you are getting out there and you are staying active. So even if you cut it off a little bit, 
like with me, you know, sometimes I only use the first eight inches. <laughs> Leave the rest, the other six <laughs> for spare. But yeah, you are, you are still getting active yeah. and, and you're out there. So you still get that, that bit of a rush. You still feel like you've done something productive. Yeah. yeah I find that with exercise too. It's, it can be something even quite minimal, which is take the, you know, take Polly for a walk up in the, up in the scrub. And then, um, I feel good because she's getting some exercise and then mm. there are a couple of steep hills there. But if I don't really feel like doing that, I'll just be like, no, no, no. I know the hill's there. Yeah. But I'll still feel good about the fact that I was near the hill and I had to walk <laughs> to get get, get near it. Yeah. How do you find, um, do, you, do you have some friends that, um, friends or associates, I guess, that are, you would consider to be reasonably successful? Um, or at least, at least on the surface, they're they're successful in some regard. I think it depends on what you perceive as success. But this is what I'm saying: is like regarding your point of view. So, of your successful friends, the ones that you do have, which I'm, you'd be able to pinpoint three or four in your head, possibly. When you see them kicking their next goals and actually achieving some level of success, something that's that is aspirational. Do you have a genuine feeling of appreciation and 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 love and wow, what's another word I could use? Like happiness, I guess, for their success? Or do you feel a sting of I wish I was doing that? No, I mean I know I can like you said, I've got three or four already floating th- floating through my head who yep. I would, you know, probably stamp a you're doing alright yeah. sort of sticker on. Um, and all vastly different, you know, one, one's, uh, gone out on his own doing real estate, um, and just starting to kind of make a bit of a name for himself and build his brand and build his marketing and all that, not making amazing money yet, but fucking will be one day. Um, but even if not, it doesn't matter. He's steering his own ship. He's having a crack, you know, um, another mate who's, you know, uh, bought land, built a house, has an amazing missus, um, has a shit commute to work every day, but fucking he, he's got a house. Like, that's more than a lot of people my age have. Um, like I said, awesome missus, dog, everything like that. He's doing good, successful, but from another totally different point of view, right? Um, another mate who's started his own business, gone out by himself, um, kind of learned the tools of the trade. He's doing... Um, he was working, contracting, doing part of the MBN layout, laying cables and that sort of thing. And then went, became a project manager and then actually went out by himself and bought into another business and that. Again, I'd definitely call successful yep. from another point of view though, right? Yeah. All so, successful in their own ways. And but in again, my it, eyes, it, all equally successful. But it's not about the measurement of success. What I'm saying is you will be able to identify those people who you deem as being successful. Yeah. Right. When you see them succeed though, do you feel a genuine internal level of happiness for their success, or do you see a, or do you feel a sting of jealousy about it? No, definitely not. So you feel happiness for them. Yeah. So you see good. your mate. Good on them. And and yeah, and I think that that's actually a reasonably rare thing. Is where, like for me, I I love seeing success in my friends. I'm so fucking happy. Somebody fucking, like, what's the word? 
What's the thing where you frog jump over the thing thing? Leapfrog? Leapfrog. So somebody leapfrogs over me in terms of any particular standing in my life. I see them reach this next level of success. I will genuinely feel happy for them instead of like, I will never be like, oh, I wish that was me or he doesn't fucking deserve that or this, that or the other. I am so fucking ecstatic for my friends actually reaching that level. Like my mate Connell was working for an accounting firm bought an accounting firm. Then he, he's bought another one. Then he's, he's been doing all these negotiations with different businesses and his success has been fucking amazing. Bensky is another example. Seeing him start a business from fucking nothing to I think he's looking to have 13 or 14 employees in the next sort of couple of months. For me, You're right. I look at that and I go, that's fucking amazing. Like yeah. I'm so fucking fortunate to have you as a friend and I'm so fortunate that I've been involved in this growth of your business or this growth of you as a person. Maybe there was one time where I gave them a bit of advice that has actually helped them in some capacity, but I would never sort of presume that. It's just been awesome to actually have them as a friend and see them sort of succeed. And and I take a bit of gratitude away from the fact that I'm able to have them as a friend and say, yeah, I know this guy who does this thing. Yeah. Again, you know, Bensky and Connell, great examples there. And Reese, the photographer, another great example where I can say, yeah, I fucking know this guy and he's fucking kicking goals. Yeah. And and it's not even defending them, but it's more about actually having this appreciation that fucking good on you, bro. Like yeah. fucking well done. That's like really nobody, cool. nobody else has the balls to fucking do that. No. Uh, and it's not necessarily just about the business side of things, but you see them, you see them go from success to success. That's something I think I've, some of the stuff that I've done in the past where I've, I've had some things that I've done, different goals that I've met, whatever the case may be. And and the external sort of viewpoint on what I'm doing, it, it people can be a little bit judgmental in terms of what they're like, oh, well, you know, you can do this because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I, I've been quite fortunate, but I've fucking worked my guts out. I've become mm. very fucking good at what I do through nothing but concentration, dedication, and hard work. That's all I've fucking done. And a, and a reasonably fortunate position now. Some people might look at my position and say, your wife just fucking left you. You know, you've got a son who was born missing part of his brain. You know, both of your kids have got speech impediments. Like, maybe somebody could look at that and go... And also, you live in a shed. It's a nice shed, though. It's a pretty fucking good shed. Substantial. It's not about the size of the shed. It's about how big the shed is. Oh, wait. No, that's the exact same thing. Yeah, it's about the size of the shed. It's about <laughs> how you use the shed. <laughs> Not very well from the looks of things. But yeah, that's the uh, having having people sort of judge me from an outsider's point of view based on a specific set of criteria that they look at, which is he's got this and he's got that, but not knowing what the underpinnings were to that legitimate fucking hard work to get to the next point. Mm. Um, I, I would encourage people out there to actually legitimately feel, I mean, it's a little bit of a Buddhist thing, this belief in or this, this feeling that we should actually relish in the success of people that we know, or even people that we don't know, but to be like, fucking good on you. Like, well mm. done. You just won $18 million in the lottery. Fucking good on you. Yeah. Uh, there'd be a lot of people that sit there and go, hey, he doesn't fucking deserve it. Mm. Who deserves any of the money that they've got? Yeah, Money's a fucking made up thing. Yeah, I think jealousy is kind of one of those traits, or one of those things that people feel. It's also, it's like people that bully right like it shows a sign of weakness yeah there's insecurity there yeah insecurity is what it is really no i agree with you completely 
Um, I think we may have run out of my list of things to do. Do you have anything else that you've uh, got that's on the tip of your tongue? No, not really. Just wanted to say uh, thanks for having me on. Honoured to be here, and uh, I hope you bring me back for another episode. <laughs> I'm really fucking happy to have you. Uh, so at the wrap-up, don't forget we've got to... Um, Say uh, if you or anyone else you know is in a dark, desperate place and could do with a bit of a leg up, go to lifeline.org.au or hit them up on 131114. Um, we're available on the socials, on all of the meaningful platforms, which is uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Pornhub. No. <laughs> no, I think we're just on the first three. Facebook, <laughs> Twitter and Instagram at Advice for Blokes. I think we do have a TikTok being set up at the moment as well. I'm not sure anyone's necessarily going to watch that. Um, you can contact us on the podcast hotline on 029541 Other than that, Smadge, it's been an absolute fucking pleasure to have you along, mate. I hope uh, I hope the truth trip was worthwhile up from Sydney town. Absolutely. All right, no dramas, guys. We'll take it easy. You're not alone out there. We'll catch you later. Catch you later. How'd you find that? Yeah, good. Easy? That was a good episode. Talked a bit of shit in the middle there somewhere, but... Everyone does. <laughs> Most of... 90% of what is on the fucking podcast <laughs> is shit. <laughs>